0: All right, now we're going to talk tonight about foolish vows and loving your enemy. Foolish vows and loving your enemy. Now, last time we talked about anger, lust, and the big D. What's the big D? Divorce. And like I said last time, we may spend a whole Wednesday night on that because there there was so much more to it than what I could cover in the brief time we had last week. Now, as Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount Masterpiece, he addresses three more issues that we all deal with. Making, well, I said three more, but there's really two I'm going to name. Making unwise vows and how to respond to an enemy, which I think is some of his toughest teaching. Sometimes I don't want to do what he said do towards an enemy. How about you? Don't you sometimes want to tell people what you really think? Get in the flesh real good. Come on, don't look at me so holy. Your halo's up here. Um, but Jesus talks about making unwise vows, which probably most of us in here have never thought about. So let's first look at what Jesus said about making an unwise oath. So we're starting at Matthew five and verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, so here he goes again. Those of old said one thing, but I say to you another. All right? I just saw somebody hadn't seen it in a while, so I I waved. (laughs) We're real relaxed here on Wednesday night in case you didn't notice. All right, now, um, then he says, but I'm going to say to you about making an oath. And remember, I've taught you every week now that what Jesus does, he takes an Old Testament principle or an Old Testament law and he spiritualizes it. He carries it to the heart of the matter. And he's going to do it again here. He says, I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven for it is God's throne, nor by the earth for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head. I don't know how you do that. I swear by my head. I don't know how you do that, but they did it. I've never heard anybody do that, but they did it. So, because you cannot make one hair white or black. How many of you ever noticed? God will do that for you? Okay. But what he's saying in verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is, wow, look at this. Not just evil, but from the evil one. I have to think of what James said, that the tongue is an unruly member. James said it is set on fire by hell. And he was talking to believers. How many of you, in all honesty, have ever... Had a moment where you got in the flesh as a believer, spirit filled in church every week, you know, hands raised, kumbaya, hallelujah. You're a child of God, but you got in the flesh and some things came out of your mouth that when it was over with, you knew that that slipped from the natural into the supernatural and the enemy got a hold of your tongue. Have you ever noticed that? So. So. What Jesus is telling us is you can make an oath, you can can forswear, and I'm going to talk about what that means in a minute, but you can make an oath, and it can be rooted in pride and presumption, and actually the evil one can be inspiring your speech. Now, Jesus is hearkening back to the Old Testament, where there were commands regarding oaths, and, and the oaths were always made in the name of God. He said, do not swear falsely by my name. Now, I'm reading out of Leviticus. Here's one of those Old Testament verses Jesus is referring to. Leviticus nineteen twelve, Do not swear falsely by my name. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now, here's another one, Deuteronomy 23, 23. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure you do. Because you made your vow freely to the Lord, your God, with your own mouth. I've done this. When I first got saved and got really turned on for Jesus, I said, Lord, I give you my whole life. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will do it. Whatever you want me to give it up, I will give it up. And you know what I found out? God came to collect. God came to collect. Uh, Well, wait a minute, I kind of, you know, I'm not so sure I feel the same anymore. He said, doesn't matter, because in my presence, you said to me in my name. So Jesus is teaching me real careful what you say in the presence of God. Now, what is an oath? An oath is a solemn affirmation or declaration made with an appeal to God for the truth of what is affirmed. And calling for his vengeance and renouncing his favor if what you're affirming is false. So what you're doing is say, say, in by, now I'm not swearing here, but this is what we do. By God, I will do it. Lord, in your name, I, 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 I swear to you, I will do it. That's an oath. It, it is an affirmation in the presence of God. Now watch this. This is why marriage is not just a piece of paper. Which I've recently been told. That marriage is a piece of paper. And who needs a piece of paper? Because we have an understanding with God. All right? That shows me you don't understand that marriage is not just a piece of paper. Because what you're doing is you're, you are making an oath before God and witnesses. Okay? And God is there. And he hears the oath. So, shacking up is not the same as being married. If it is the same, can somebody tell me what fornication is? Why it's in the Bible over and over again? If you can just shack up and say, well, we're, we're in covenant, so we're just shacking up and God sees it and understands and we don't need a piece of paper or to walk down an aisle or, or people watching and listening to our commitment. Well, then what is fornication? And where does it come from? Now, I didn't intend to go, you'll notice this is not in my notes. I just took a detour. (laughs) Now I'm coming back out. And let's continue. Um, So that's what an oath is, a solemn affirmation or declaration in the presence of God. Where you are appealing to God to affirm the truth of what you're saying. And if it's false, I, I said, if I'm not telling you the truth, then may God strike me dead. Watch it. Watch it. How many of you ever heard that said? If I'm not telling you the truth, may God strike my mother. Well, how about you? <laughs> Getting your mother under the target. Now, a false oath in legal terms is called perjury. If you perjure yourself, it means you, you, you told a lie. You made a false oath. Uh, but here in the Sermon on the Mount, it's called swearing. In the King James uh, Bible, it's swearing. And it appears from this passage, as well as from the ancient writings of the Jewish rabbis, that while the Jews professedly adhered to the law, they had introduced a number of oaths in common everyday conversation and oaths which they by no means considered to be binding. They had gotten, the Jews had gotten into a bad habit of every time you turn around, they're making an oath, just saying, well, by God, I'm going to do this, and may God strike me dead if I don't do that, and swearing by God and swearing by the temple and even swearing by their head, but always swearing by something. And it had become so common that Jesus now brings a message on it in the Sermon on the Mount. Swear by the temple, swear by the head, swear by heaven, swear by earth. So long as they kept from swearing by the name Yahweh, and so long as they observed the oath publicly taken, they seem to consider that all others' uh, oaths as allowable and could also be broken without negative repercussions. I-, I can make this oath, and if I don't do the oath, no big deal, because in common, language. I'm always making an oath. I'm always saying by this and by that, and I swear by this, that my word is true, and I'm going to do what I say. Now, Jesus saw this all the time, and he said, this is abuse. And let me tell you why. It's verbal abuse, and it could get you um, into trouble with God. One commentator writes, it was the practice of swearing... Now, I don't mean cussing, I mean forswearing, making an oath, in common conversation, and especially swearing by created things that Jesus was rebuking, by heaven, by earth, by my head, by my mother, by my father, created things, swearing by them. To do this, Jesus said they were mistaken in their views of the sacredness of of such oaths, so powerful, folks, are our words. So powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they the love wheat, the fruit thereof. The oaths were, in fact, very closely connected with God. That's the idea. And to trifle with them was a way of trifling with God. Jesus said that heaven is his throne. So if you swear by heaven, you're swearing by Christ's throne. The earth is Jesus' footstool. So if you swear by the earth, Jesus said, hey, that's connected to me. You don't realize it, but you're making an oath that is very closely connected to me. You think it's harmless, but it's not. Jerusalem was his special abode. People would swear by the holy city. I swear by the holy city, I'm going to do this. My word is good. I swear by Jerusalem. The Bible warns, Ecclesiastes 5.2, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few, especially your promises to God. Now, I don't, I, I'm not teaching this to make you paranoid uh, uh, of saying, Lord, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm not trying to make you uh, paranoid of that. But listen, when I first got saved and filled with the Spirit and really on fire for the Lord, all the time, Lord, I give you everything. Oh, I'm just so enraptured by you. I'm so taken by you. Lord, just I give you everything. I went on and on and on. You know what I do now? If he comes to me and says, will you do this? I say, yes. No excessive promises. No, I'll go to the end of the earth. No, I can never fail you. Don't you think that this same thing happened to Simon Peter? Lord, though everybody else forsakes you, I won't. Jesus said, Simon, you are going to eat those words shortly because you're going to deny me three times. And you don't hear Peter after that being braggadocious at all. You hear him saying, yep, yes, I'll, I'll go. That's it. That's all you're getting from me. (laughs) Are you hearing me? Uh, to, To swear by these various things was to treat irreverently things that were created by God. And it couldn't be done without guilt. And that's what Jesus was telling them. Quit all this oath making. It doesn't even mean anything to you anymore. It's interesting that I read this in a little Bible almanac, that in Palestine today, the people still use the very same sort of oaths that are mentioned and condemned by the Lord. Today, they still do it. They swear by the head, by their life, by heaven, by the temple, or what is in its place, the church. Now, let me be honest with you. Let's face it. If men weren't such chronic liars, there'd be no need of oaths. Because why, why do you do an oath? Because you know that what you're saying isn't true, and you're trying to convince the listener that it's true when you know it's not true. In my own experience, I've noticed that, it, that, that the more a person feels inclined to say something like, I swear to you by God, I'm telling you the truth, I start wondering if they're telling me the truth. A person who has to constantly invoke God's name doesn't have much confidence in the truth of their statements, and they're trying to convince themselves that they're telling you the truth as well as you. Just say yes, yes, or no, no. And if you're an honest person, that's all that it takes. It's important to note here that Jesus is not referring to judicial oaths, oaths taken in a court of justice. When you go there and they ask you to swear on the Bible, you should do it. Okay. It was merely the foolish and wicked habit of swearing in private conversation, of swearing on every occasion and by everything that he was condemning. Even Jesus himself did not refuse to take an oath in a court of law. Matthew twenty-six sixty-three to 64 says, And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, Jesus responded, under oath, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus said, under oath, I'm coming back. Under oath. Under oath, he said, I'm coming back. In a court of law, Paul did the same thing. In Romans 1, 9, he said, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. He said, I'm so telling you the truth, and I know I'm telling you the truth, and I can tell you God is my witness. He will attest to it. Now, next, Jesus deals with, I think, one of the toughest parts of the Sermon on the Mount, the whole subject of how to respond to an enemy. How many of you can say... Uh, you've had an enemy in the last five years. An enemy. Somebody that really tried to put it to you. Let me see. How many of you can say I am my own worst enemy? <laughs> All right. <laughs> enemies happen. I hate to say it, but enemies are a part of life. And in light of what's happening in our country, I'm glad I'm teaching this. Because Folks, there are real enemies of the church out there now who really want the church to be decimated. Really want the church to be decimated. Really want the church to fail. Want the church to lose its, its tax exemption status. Want the church to have to close the doors. Want the church to bow to their agenda. And we'll, t- we'll tell you if they were standing here, I am your enemy. So I I believe like never before American Christians are going to have to learn how to deal with genuine enemies. Okay? So here goes Jesus again. You've heard that it was said of old time. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many of you like that one? Come on. That one is more appealing to my flesh. But I tell you, Listen to what he said now, not to resist an evil person. I've wanted to take that out of the Bible before, but you can't look what he said. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek in Texas, we say smack him back, but not Jesus. He said, turn the other to him. Also, how many of you could do that? Turn the other cheek. Well, God bless you. I want to meet you. You come lay hands on me. All right. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, you turn. The, then if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, which is your shirt, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, here again, Jesus looks back to those who, who said of old time, here's the law, here's the principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In Latin, this is known as lex talionis, the law of retaliation. You do to me, I'm going to do to you. You steal my mule, I'm going to steal yours. You slap me, I'm going to slap you. You maim me, I'm going to maim you. You kill one of my family members, I'm going to kill one of your family members lex talionis the law of retaliation now though this Old Testament law was only intended as a direction to judges in court cases that had to do with violent and barbarous assaults against people that's what it was originally given for through Moses in court you Extract an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what you exact in the court of law. That's fair. But here's what began to happen. It had come to be interpreted among the Jews as encouraging severe revenge for every injury a man might receive. And you took it into your own hands. You, it, it was vigilante justice. I'm not going to a court. I'm going to do it myself. So Jesus says, no, 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 unless you're in a court of law where this is the law, you're not under the same law. He gives the shocking command, resist not an evil person. And then he tells us what he means by that. He offers three possible scenarios of what exactly he's talking about. A slap on the cheek, a legal attempt to steal somebody's shirt and being forced to walk a mile while carrying someone else's load, which Roman soldiers regularly did with the Jews. They would walk up to a Jewish person or just a Roman citizen and say, you know what? I'm tired. Carry this load. And that person had to walk with them a mile. And that was Roman law that any Roman soldier could do it. So if you saw one coming, you got out of the way. He I'm, I'm going to dodge this guy before he gets me and says, carry this load for a mile. Jesus said, don't just carry it a mile, carry it two. Really? <laughs> Amen. Now, a lot of controversy has swirled around regarding just how far this goes. What are the parameters for such a command? Because I'm going to tell you, it's not as clear cut as you think. There are parameters to this command i thought about this, and, I, and I've read the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again, just taking the Sermon on the Mount into account and what Jesus taught, what he's about to teach for the rest of this chapter. I, I have to believe that the motive or the reason for the Lord saying, I want you to turn the other cheek, I want you to go to the second mile, if, if they sue you through legal court, Trying wrongly to get your shirt, give him your coat as well. Just, Just throw your coat away. Why did he tell us to do that? Here's what I believe. The Lord never wants his children to be caught up and ensnared in a spirit of anger, of hatred, of vengeance, or unforgiveness. Because so deadly are those emotions when you become ensnared by them. So he has given us directions on how to defuse such dangerous and costly passions. His command to turn the other cheek and resist not evil, I believe, is designed, one reason, to keep our own hearts free. Because because if you slap me and, and I yield to the flesh, we can be in a bad situation in no time at all. And I might... I might walk away bitter, and that bitterness grow, and my whole life be ruined by it. Do you see Jesus' reason for resisting not evil? He's not teaching wimpism. He's teaching, stay free of dangerous and deadly emotional and heart traps. He wants us free. When we as Christians take the tact of resisting not evil we immediately display an utterly different spirit from that of the world. The godless world system revolves around vengeance and bitterness, anger and unforgiveness. That's why we have so many uh, movie stars who we immediately identify with this vigilante spirit, you know, Clint Eastwood and, and uh, Bronson and all these who, who, who every movie had to do with them getting vengeance. And we love that because we lived out vengeance through them. Jesus said, that's the way the whole world operates. He said, but you're not in the world anymore. You're in another kingdom. You have been translated from darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And so, I'm telling you, resist not evil. Don't answer evil with evil. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, Paul quoted, And he says, so if your enemy is hungry, feed him, clothing, do something good for him. Be not overcome. Here's why I think he taught this. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. So he is teaching us how to disarm evil. What do you think that Roman soldier would think? He comes up to a Christian. And the Christian says, I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, you're one of those. Well, carry my bag. They walk the first mile. Do you think that that soldier is impressed at all by his Christianity in the first mile? No, because he's doing what he's got to do by law. But, but then every foot, every step, every yard he walks after that is a testimony to that soldier. So that by the end of the second mile, that soldier is thinking, wow, I am not dealing with what I usually encounter. I'm dealing with somebody of a different spirit who didn't mind walking a second mile, and they didn't have to do that one. They only had to do the first one. So what's the second mile all about? Well, the reason I walked this, this second mile with you is because Jesus loves you, and I love you, And I don't resent you for making me walk the first mile so much so that I'm going to walk the second and talk to you about him. And every step you take after that first mile, that soldier is spiritually disarmed. When a believer manifests a different spirit altogether, it points up to a real God. By the same token... Now let me balance this teaching out. By the same token, Jesus was not teaching the Christian to never engage in self defense. I want everybody to read that one with me. Because I like the Second Amendment. Okay? The right to keep and the bear arms. I've got a few of those arms. Now, now let me just tell you the truth. You come at me in my home, and I'm going to feel a whole different anointing. Okay? Jesus was not teaching that if somebody comes breaking into your home and goes after your family and you, you're supposed to go, okay, children, everybody stand up and turn the other cheek. People in our day, the criminals would say, thank you for making this easy. Now, watch this now. Jesus was not teaching the Christian to never engage in self-defense either when physically attacked or in a court of law when wrongly charged or in a relationship that is abusive. That was not his intent. He said, if you're slapped on the cheek, not if somebody's trying to kill you, He said if someone is trying to take your shirt, not when someone is trying to financially destroy you. He said when a soldier is compelling you to carry his load for a mile, not when a soldier is trying to completely enslave you. In other words, the offenses Jesus illustrates are relatively minor. Slap on the cheek. Oh, yeah, you want my shirt? Well, I'll give you my coat, too. You want me to walk a mile? Well, I can walk a mile. This is, these are minor offenses. And these are ways to keep our hearts free and to disarm evil. But folks, nowhere in this does it say we shouldn't go to war for a good cause. Nowhere in here does it say you don't protect yourself and your family. Even a dog will eventually bite you if you come at it. God created his whole creation to be Self-preservative, self-preserving. If I'm attacked by a mugger on a street who begins to beat me, this is not where Jesus works to turn the other cheek come into play. <laughs> do you get it? Are you with me? Now, let me give you a good Because to me, turn the other cheek is figurative more times than not, especially in the West. Not very often is somebody actually going to come up and hit you, but people do slap you in a lot of different ways. They verbally slap you. They attitudinally slap you. Uh, there's a lot of ways people slap, slap us. This week I got slapped. I did. I slapped good. I had somebody on the internet accuse me of all kinds of things because I wrote what I did about gay marriage. And one, some of them can't be repeated. Some of them were so vile. It's just like it just came out of a slime pit out of a sewer. One of them said, you're just on the wrong side of history. And I said, I'd rather be on the wrong side of your history and be on the right side of his story. That's what I said. But now watch this. What I did, because I had some very vile things said to me, I I went back to a lot of them and said something kind over and over again, you slap me whack, all right? I'm, I, so figuratively, I turn the, this is what I think he was going at. This is the spirit of, of what he was saying. Figuratively, I, I, I just answer back with kind words. You're not going to make me be like you. I am not going to lower myself to your level. I am going to stay, see? So, and I had to work at it with a few of them. I had to walk away and pray for a while over a few of them. And I had to put on Jesus and put off the old man with a few of them, but because it was so vicious, so uncalled for, so out of line. But I, I went back, and 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 one of them that had really been particularly bad. I said, "Thank you for your kind input," <laughs> and and your how do I put it? Thank you for your uh, sincere. And kind words. And I said, uh, I'm going to answer you. Give me a little bit of time. I'm going to research it. And I'm going to answer you. It stopped. Somebody slaps you on your cheek. Verbally. Attitudinally. Accusing you. Criticizing you. For the cause of the kingdom of God, for instance. You retort. By not retorting, but responding. A reaction and a response are two different things. You react in the flesh. You respond in the spirit. You respond with kindness. And it actually disarms most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. It disarms. The ones that it doesn't disarm, I don't respond again. Are you hearing me? I believe that's the spirit of this. what he's saying here. So, so, so when somebody slaps you. You have a choice. Am I going to slap back? Because I'm pretty good with words too. I could slap back. Or am I going to respond in the spirit the best of my ability and, and disarm them? Love those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully and persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. That you may be the children of your father who is in heaven. He makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Everybody likes their friends. So, trust the offense to God and give the offender your coat also. It pours coals of fire on the offender and assures that your heart stays free, which is what I really think the Lord is after. Jesus' further words, I'll give to him that asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Let me just balance that one too. That is in no way a command to never say no. Are you with me, church? If I just took that literally, then anytime anybody asks me for anything, I've got to say yes. He said, don't turn them away. That's not what he's saying. Because we have learned, I learned long ago, that sometimes the worst thing you can do for somebody is to give them what they want. So he's not saying, go make unwise business decisions. If somebody wants to borrow, don't tell them no. He's not saying to allow yourself to be continuously taken advantage of. And I've seen so many Christians do what Jesus told me to always give. So so I see their relatives and I see their friends, their in-laws, their outlaws, always taking stuff from them. And them never saying no. And they just walk away laughing. They're not helping those people. By giving them everything they want. You have to use wisdom. Here's what I believe he's after. His message is designed to teach the child of God to be free of covetousness. Keep a loose grip on the things of this world. You're not taking anything with you. When you can genuinely and wisely help others out of what you have, do so. Wisely. Don't be a Scrooge. Remember Scrooge counting his money at night while the hungry went without? Now, the rest of Jesus' teaching in chapter 5 continues along this very same vein. And here's what I call it, the Teflon approach to enemies. Remember when Teflon pans came out? I know I'm dating myself here. How many of you don't even know what that is? Oh, God bless you. A Teflon pan was the non-stick pan. You could, you could crack an egg and pour it in there with no butter, no grease, and it would slide around free if you shook the pan because it was Teflon, this new, this new material. And everybody wanted a Teflon pan instead of that steel where legs, eggs break and the yolks break, and it's just gnarly to cook in them. This is Teflon, non-stick, Amen. non-stick. I really believe that Jesus' instructions on enemies helps us get to the place where no matter what they do, it doesn't stick to us. So we're going to read this together. Um, let's, let's stand together and read it, can we? And, and just be thinking Teflon. The Teflon response. So I want you to say with me, it's not going to stick to me. If they say something evil, it's not going to stick. If they attack me, it's not going to stick. That's the idea here. Now watch. Let's read it together. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now let me ask a question in between. How can bitterness, anger, vengeance, or unforgiveness stick to you if you're blessing them? Praying for them and loving them. Do you hate somebody tonight? Let me tell you what you do to get over it. Go pray for them. You're telling me to go pray this. God will bless somebody I hate. Yes. Because if, if you hate them, they're controlling you. Now let's go on. Verse 45 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, Jesus has a question or a statement that's very logical. 46, read it. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren, come on, everybody, 47, only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect. That means mature or godlike, not flawless. Therefore, you shall be godlike just as your Father in heaven is. Try going up and greeting an enemy next time you see him. Because you notice when you're walking down the street, they see you coming. They go to the other side. Or you go to the other side. Just go out and say, hey, how you doing? (laughs) Uh, It sets you free. Okay. Next time we're going to talk about genuine giving and powerful prayer. Okay? So how many of you are glad you came to church tonight? All right.